obstacles. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning is obstacles in your life. Um, has anybody ever had any obstacles? You guys know what I <laughs> All the people who have lived life long enough beyond their teenage years, okay, now is, is nodding their head that, that life is not rosy, okay? Now, some of the kids in here, you probably have felt obstacles as well. The definition of an obstacle is a thing that blocks one's way or prevents or hinders progress. Obstacles. We hate them. And in fact, you will not be able to move into the future towards any progress without obstacles. It's a given. Sometimes the kids, I'll tell them to do something, they're like, but it's hard. And I go, I know it's hard. It, and then I'll remind it when I'm going through something and I'm like, man, this is hard. I don't want to do it. And like, I got to do it anyway. Because you got you to gotta become, you got to grow. Um, the text this morning is Mark chapter 2, uh, 1 through uh, 12. And uh, I want to start by reading this. In the introduction to Mark, we encountered voices from heaven and angels, Satan and wild beasts. And now as Jesus' ministry begins, we are in a more ordinary territory among the common people of the villages of Galilee. Jesus proclaims the coming of God's reign. Remember, God's the owner of the house or king. It's his property. God has shown up. Calls, uh, Jesus calls the disciples. He started to heal people. We saw that in last week uh, in those uh, 30-some verses. And he enters into controversies. He enters into obstacles with the religious understanding of the day, the people that were supposed to be the uh, caretakers for God's word or the law or Torah. They were the ones that were uh, to be the, uh, the promoters and teachers of, of Torah. We learn about who Jesus is by hearing about what he does. Among other things, we learn that he has a strange, compelling power, a particular concern for society's outsiders, and a willingness to challenge the religious and cultural rules of his time. As we will mention, you know, a lot of people, uh, just in your mind, what would get a person being nice crucified? You just ask that question. What would, just being a nice guy in the ancient world, how would that get a person crucified? Um, Jesus is more than just being nice or being religious. Jesus is God actually shown up. We saw that in chapter 1 with the sky ripping open, the Holy Spirit coming into Jesus. God is on the loose. Mark is telling us something about who Jesus is by what Jesus actually does. Now you have all of this baggage. It's good, a lot of it's good baggage which is the Old Testament. Maybe baggage is not, maybe that's not the right way to put that. But there is some baggage because of what, the way that it was interpreted by the time you get to Jesus. Of what they were expecting about when Messiah would show up. Messiah was going to be the one that was bringing uh, authority and rule through power of conquering the empire. And we're going to look at this story that is... As we've, a lot of the kids, I think they were saying yes when they said that they heard about this guy being lowered through the roof. We've all heard this in Sunday school at some point. And there's a couple of observations that maybe um, to think fresh through this. Jesus uh, is God on the loose. But nobody knows that. The characters in the story do not know that. The religious leaders do not know that. In fact, we've, just, we've only got four disciples right now, right? They were called from the fishing endeavors. That's as far as we've gotten in Mark, that there's only four. We don't have the, other, the rest of them yet. 
the 12 or the surrounding peripheral disciples that were among the 12, that were beyond just the 12 that were with Jesus and following. But we have seen the crowds, and we've seen these events where Jesus heals and the crowds are pressing in. We saw that Peter was going to try to take uh, Jesus and make his, make his house the hub for this revolutionary uh, Messiah event. And Jesus uh, is not, his time has not yet come, and he's telling people to not tell people about um, what he's doing, uh, but he is also trying to teach. So we have front row seats to the story that the characters in the story do not have. Sometimes we forget that when we're reading the Bible. We're trying to read the Bible for the little calendar verse that we're going to just digest and then move on with our day. But if we're going to look at the book as what did Mark mean to say in 16 chapters collectively to us, uh, we, we have to dig a little bit deeper. So the text is Mark 2 starting at verse 1, and here's that word, and again. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Talking about Jesus. He's at home. We don't know whose house he's at. Some people even suggested that we might be at Jesus' house. I didn't think Jesus had a house, but um, it's ambiguous. We don't know. If you just read beyond that, you're like, yeah, he was at a house, but... That's a question you can ask when you're reading the text. What house is Jesus at? Now, he's returning to Capernaum. Do you remember what happened in Capernaum? Mark is collectively one whole book, and we will see echoes in the text. We'll see overlap with Luke and Matthew and John. We're going to see the overlaps here. But Mark is writing, and he's writing as he's thinking, as Peter's telling him the eyewitness account of what happened when he walked among and lived with Jesus. Okay? Capernaum in chapter 1 was when they were at the synagogue on the Sabbath in the Jewish church. Remember that? So they're returning to Capernaum where Jesus was when he was teaching in the synagogue. And the man with the evil spirit spoke up and said he was the son of God. Okay, remember that? And he spoke to him to shut up. He told the demon to shut up. And immediately he left. And people were saying, what new teaching is this? It's one with authority. It's way different than those uh, of the religious leaders of the day, of the teachers of the law. This is a new teaching with authority. And, of course, verse 28 of chapter 1 says, At once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. That was an event where, again, Mark's telling us, this is a fast-developing thing. When God shows up, when people start getting healed of their physical problems and there's this promise of like he's going to the people that nobody else is going to go to the unclean of society uh that gets a lot of people's attention that have felt felt ostracized or outside um because in the ancient world religion as even sometimes today can become an obstacle to getting people to god you with me? There can be obstacles. There can be boundaries for getting people to God. So there's an echo in the text here. These locations that most of us don't think about. I don't really know where Capernaum's at. I've never been out of the United States. But we read it and we go, oh, that's an echo from the text. You don't have to be a world traveler to understand. Oh, the, the geography is important. This was in real time, real places. There was a GPS location. There was a longitude, latitude. There was this place. So Jesus returns to the place where the guy in the Jewish church gets delivered from the demon. After some days, it was reported that he was at this house. And many were gathered together so that there was no room. There was no more room, not even at the door. Remember how last week ended? The guy that was the leper was crawling towards Jesus. And he was like, remember Jesus is 
actually more contagious than the guy that actually has the disease. And he's not afraid, but all the religious people don't want to touch the leper. He told the leper, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go do what was told to you by Moses, that you go and show the priest that you've been healed so that you can be reassembled into the assembly of Jewish worship. That you will not be on the outskirts of the community, that you will not be just an outcast, that you actually get absorbed back into the social norm because we all want to belong, right? I don't care who you are in here. If you've ever showed up to play on a a sports team, if you've ever showed up in a classroom for the first time and you don't know anybody in there, if you show up in that church building for the first time, you want to immediately find one person that affirms you that you belong. You show up in a family and you want that family to say that you belong. We're all longing to be made whole. We're all longing to be loved. We're all longing to be alive and be cared about in community. And so Jesus, when God shows up, people are healed and they're made whole. And the obstacles start to, Jesus takes the obstacle. Because Jesus should never be an obstacle to the church. Jesus clears the obstacles so that people can get to God. Good news, right? That's good news. But remember, the guy doesn't obey Jesus. He says, he goes and he, he begins to talk freely about it. We're not even out of, the, out of the gate of Jesus' ministry. And so now the crowds are pressing in. There's so many people. You cannot contain this news. And there's not, there's not a Facebook. There's not Snapchat. There's not Instagram. This is just old school word of mouth walking on the dusty roads with sandals talking about the news of the day. And it captivated people. And now in this scene in Mark... There's no more room at the door. Now, I think it's Luke's gospel where it tells you why there's no more room at the door. Not just the crowds, but the the Pharisees, I think, are standing in the way. So there's this obstacle of the religious people are blocking the doorway into this space where Jesus is teaching again. He was preaching the word to them. The New Testament? No, because it hasn't been written yet. Jesus is preaching the scriptures of the Old Testament, and he's talking about them and unpacking them. What would that have been like to hear Jesus, God incarnate, interpreting commentary on the Old Testament? It's an interesting thought. And they came. Who's they? We don't know. They came, bringing to him a paralytic or paraplegic A person that cannot walk, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, and we we learn from Luke that that crowd is the religious crowd, that's an obstacle, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let the bed down on which the paralytic lay. Now, in our modern minds, to think of tearing through the roof is pretty intense, but the ancient world, these, these... Houses were made of, uh, you know, mud and, and thatch, and, and they could they actually every year they had to repair them as the the seasons had attacked the, the elements had attacked the roof, and so this was easily repairable. Some people are like, oh man, you had property damage. Jesus is the Bible's telling me to get in get in on property damage, and, and no, that's not what it's saying. Um, they actually are just they're pulling back the roof, which was easily repairable. I'm pretty sure the homeowner, unless it was Jesus' house, then he's like, oh, that's cool, you can rip the roof off. Because um, Jesus cares about people. And these friends are lowering their friend that is paraplegic down through the roof. Um, and it's weird because this bed must have been pretty strong. Imagine like a 100 to 150-pound person. I'm assuming they're not really large because ancient world, there's no food. Everybody's hungry all the time. It doesn't mean it's like Herod's the, Herod, remember when Jesus is like, yeah, people that wear uh, 
nice clothes, and they eat their fill. They live in palaces, and Jesus is basically slamming the Jewish king, Herod, when he's making those comments. So kings were probably heavier. This person's, you know, maybe 100, 150 pounds, and they're being laid, let down on this map, but you're still thinking, what kind of material was that for them to be able to do this? If this is a real event, right, if this is really happening, uh, it makes you wonder. So they're lowering him down. We haven't even got to the main point of this story, but this is setting it up in your mind of this is the event that's taking place. Verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Anybody? Whose faith? The friends. Yeah, the four. Jesus saw their faith. That's, keep that in your mind. He saw their faith. He said to the person that can't walk, that was just coming down through the roof because he couldn't get through the obstacle of the religious leaders. When Jesus saw the four friends' faith, he said to the guy that couldn't walk, son, which is like a term of endearment toward this individual. It's just showing care. Um, he's not, it's not actually Jesus' son, right? I mean, everybody knows that. But it's a, it's a, it shows you the compassion of Jesus. Son, your sins are forgiven. And Jerry, stay here for a second on that before we go to the next slide. Um, when Jesus saw the four friends that lowered their friend that couldn't walk through the roof because they couldn't get through the obstacle of the religious leaders, Jesus said to the guy that couldn't walk, son, compassion towards this individual, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there. Now, I always get all this stuff mixed up in my head, and it doesn't matter how much time you read the Bible, you get it all mixed up if, if maybe, maybe your minds can collect and dissect this stuff better. But I always get the scribes and the Pharisees all mixed up. Because they always appear in the text, they like enter, they do this throughout the text, and you're not even really, you're like trying to get a word for the day, right? Get, get a, a verse for the day when you're reading the Bible. The scribes were those that were the caretakers of the law. They actually interpreted the law. They were the ones to actually, that the Pharisees would, uh, they, the, the scribes were, were kind of the ones dictating what was law, what was not law. Pharisees were those that were uh, trying and they were among the Jewish uh, community that they were trying to unleash God's holiness through following the law. And, and the result of that was that they ended up judging other people outside that were not keeping up to the ranks that they were. And so Pharisees and scribes, that there's two different, there's a couple places where the scribes and the Pharisees appear together. Uh, but in this case, this is the scribes, the, the local scribes of Capernaum that were sitting there uh, at, in, in the teaching of Jesus. Now, the Pharisees are blocking the door because the Pharisees meant well. This is where this text gets really weird, okay? Remember the scribes, they're the ones that are interpreting Torah, the Old Testament, of what does God require? It's a good thing to understand what God requires of you, right? Because we're all going to die and we're going to stand before God and God's going to go, what's God going to say? Go here, go there. You're with me, you're not with me. Sheep, goats, which, which is it? We're all going to stand in a judgment of some type where we stand before your maker, my maker, our creator. And it says in 1 Corinthians, and Paul tells us that we will be judged for what we did in the body. Huh. Makes you think. These scribes are telling us what the picture of what it means to follow God and what we're supposed to do when we stand before God, at least up to this point. But God has shown up. Jesus is this new age, and God's reign has come upon earth as it is in heaven. This is this picture of God actually storming into the earthiness of human reality. 
So the scribes are sitting there and questioning in their hearts. Now Mark's telling us that. We're sitting there, box seats, front row seats at this movie, watching this. Nobody else is understanding what's going on. Scribes are very well educated in what Exodus says, what Leviticus says, what Isaiah, what the prophets say. They're very educated in this. So much so that they're the ones that wrote out, this is how you live this out. And all their extra laws that they added onto it. But they're sitting there and they're listening to this. And verse 7 is key. Why does this man, this is what the scribes say in their heart, what does, why does this Jesus speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now here's the, here's the thing about the Bible that gets really weird. The scribes are right. Right? The scribes are right. Nobody can forgive your sins or this guy that can't walk sins. Uh, only God can do that. Now the priest, the priest could announce because you have done what was required in the law that you, your sins were forgiven. But that was not because the priest forgave you. It was because God had forgiven them according to the rituals of the law. But Jesus, what Jesus is actually saying to this individual, that by grace, something that the priests couldn't do and something that the law couldn't do, Jesus is saying, by grace, by faith, you are forgiven. Which is kind of weird, right? Because the four friends are like, woo, healer's in town. Let's get our buddy. Let's, oh, we've got these religious people in the way. We're going to rip through the roof. We're going to lower our friend down that can't walk. And we're going to get him where he can walk with us. And he can go fishing with us again. He can go do all the things that he did with us, right? I mean, you just, you got to use your imagination there a little bit. But these friends are like, they brought, they came to Jesus for healing of the physical. And Jesus doesn't, he just sees the guy coming through the roof, which is a, a spectacle, right? And all Jesus says to him is your sins are forgiven. You know, the friend, but Mark doesn't tell us what the friend's reaction doesn't tell us the scribe's reaction. It's just that the scribes in their heart are going through their Rolodex in their head. The files are like, oh man, nobody can forgive sins but God. And then now, now they're probably kind of afraid. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it said that when there was a prophet, and a prophet that spoke things, they would prove what they do by their actions. And, when they would, and you could judge them if they spoke truth by what the outcome of the actions were. And if not, they would be stoned. So the scribes and all these people that are afraid of this baggage in their mind is that they're saying, well, this guy, this guy just claimed he blasphemed. He's basically claiming to be God. People that say that Jesus didn't claim to be God, it's on every page of the New Testament. You are going to see this in the proclamation of Paul's letters. You see it all throughout the Gospel of John. You see it through all the Gospels. If there's one thing that you need in your theological mind, this is what separates you from the cults. This is what separates you from every other thing. The early creeds, the proclamation is that God showed up in the flesh. John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God is related to humanity completely, fully in the human body. He's fully God, fully man. But again, people don't know this as they're living. The, the characters are not under, they don't understand this. Um, the scribes were not, definitely not thinking that God was actually going to show up. They're waiting on Messiah and they're waiting on this other one called the Ancient of Days. We'll get to that in a second. But... In all reality, the funny thing with the Bible is that the, the people that we usually say, oh, they're the bad guys, they're saying uh, they're, they're Jesus' opponents, they're actually the obstacle, is actually that they're actually right. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. Jesus knows this, right? Mark knows this. They know this. 
All the Jewish people know that only God can forgive sins. If we can go to the next slide there, Jerry. And immediately, there's that language again, immediately, because Mark's moving fast. Is anybody keeping track of how many times we see that? Every week. We're going to see that every week. And immediately. And then, and then, and then, and then. I love when my kids tell me stories. Noah talking about Minecraft. And then, and then, and then, and then. You know, he's just excited about it. He's just going to tell you everything about it, even though I don't have no clue what he's, what he's talking about. Which is maybe some of you are going to like, Josh just keeps talking, and I don't know what he's talking about, but he gets excited, and that's kind of at least different from my normal week routine, right? Okay, so verse 8 of chapter 2, and immediately Jesus, in reaction to, in response to the scribes, it's, Mark tells us it was in their hearts that they were asking those important, theologically orthodox, correct things of asking, nobody can forgive sins but God. Jesus, immediately perceiving in his spirit that they were thus questioned with themselves, said to them, so Jesus responds to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? And then he asks this, this question. Jesus says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Which one's easier? Anybody? You, it, just, just maybe just the logical outflow of that thing. It, this is a participation thing. Anybody? You can be wrong. We can be wrong together. Just, does anybody? What's that? To say you're forgiven. To say you're forgiven, right. And, and why? Because you just say it. Right? There's, you don't have to have to, like, you don't have to prove it. You can just say, I could be like, hey, your sins are forgiven. God forgave you. And have no basis for it in, in, in an observational five-sense reality, right? And see anything, and hear anything, and touch anything, and smell it. Like there was no evidence, there was no empirical proof that anything actually took place in reality. It was just in the imagination that you said, hey, his sins are forgiven. And so Jesus asks this question to the scribes, those that write the law. And remember everything I just told you. They've got the whole Rolodex, they've got the whole filing cabinet in their head, and they're saying, Deuteronomy chapter 18, is the prophet going to really prove himself? Mark is giving us because we are learning about who Jesus is by what Jesus does. We are learning about Jesus' identity by what Jesus' actions actually are. The text tells us, Jesus asked this question. He says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise, person who cannot walk, start walking. Take up your mat, your bed that you just got lowered through the roof on by your four friends. Get up and walk. Jesus says this to the crowd. Everybody there, even the Pharisees at the doorway. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Let's pause there for a second. Son of Man. This is another thing I always get mixed up. We got scribes, Pharisees, mixed that all up. Uh, son of Man, Son of God. We saw in the right at the very beginning of Mark. Very first verse. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Son of God. Well, now Jesus is saying Son of Man. What does that even mean? Does anybody else, raise your hand if you've ever seen this and you're like, I, you get that mixed up, I don't understand what that means, okay? Son of God language is referring to Jesus being the Messiah promised by the Old Testament prophets. Son of man is a term that Jesus used towards himself. He took this upon himself and it, and it was this vague meaning. In the Old Testament, there are Psalms that say, son of man. It basically just means mortal or human. So, so Jesus is using this vague term that means son of man, mortal, hey you. That's a, that's a good translation in the Hebrew. Hey you over there. Jesus takes on this title on himself. It's different than Messiah. 
Now, remember I told you there was this other person that they were waiting on or this other idea of God showing up uh, or God sending a person to show up was the Ancient of Days. Daniel chapter 7, if you're taking notes. I know this is a lot of data, but if you write this down, I'm giving you, putting the cookies on the lower shelf. So you don't have to go read this later, right? But you can go read it later, right? You guys, you guys with me? Daniel 7 talks about the Ancient of Days coming, but this is different than Messiah. This is one that's going to be a person who establishes peace and justice. And this is, this is the Ancient of Day. Then this, this language of Son of Man is used in Daniel 7, verse 13. Um, and Jesus is taking it upon himself. Um, when Jesus is questioned at his trial, they say, do you claim to be the Son of God? Do you claim to be the, uh, the, the blessed one, Son of the blessed one? They're talking about Messiah. So the Messiah and the Ancient of Days, Jesus is actually, Mark is telling us that he's both. And so we're learning about Jesus' identity through these events that are taking place by the real actions in real time, in reality, by healing people. You know, it doesn't matter. If you, let's say you have a billion dollars. A billion dollars. You guys know what you can do with it? You know what you can do with like a couple hundred million dollars? You could put it in some high-yield bonds, draw dividends off of it, and do whatever you want. In this world, you could stay at high-end hotels every day of your life. You could sit by the by the ocean and drink Mai Tais. You know what you could do with that much money? You know, there's people that have tons and tons of money, but they don't have their health, and it's completely useless. Their bodies are breaking down, and they're completely, they're just miserable. Now, there's a whole different thing if you're talking about meaning and faith. That's a whole other component, that if you have health and wealth, and you don't have any meaning, and you don't have truth, then you're completely lost, right? But if we're just looking at one thing and we're saying that if you had all the money in the world, you had all the pleasure in the world, and you had all that stuff in, in the sense of what the world can get you, but you do not have your physical health. This is very important stuff, right? That God shows up because reality was meant, creation was meant to be life flourishing where life could experience the ultimate. Not because it was the, about the creation. It was about because the creator created it that way. And there would be this relationship with the creator, with the creation, that would be this partnership. Genesis chapter 2, God put the human, the Adam, the Adam in the garden to partner with the ground to create this and cultivate this botanical garden that would be life flourishing where peace reigned, God was in control, and life went forward. That's the picture. I say all that to say is that being healed physically or being able to have your health is very, very important. When I'm sick, I don't want to do anything. I'm the biggest wimp in the world. And all the guys in here probably said, hey, that's probably true, but you're not going to admit that. I can, I'll admit it for you guys, that, that usually it's the, it's the wives and the moms and the, the people that take care of us. Guys are way more wimpy when it comes to being sick, right? But to be fully alive, being, for, being forgiven but being healed is very important. And Jesus, God has shown up and life is being restored. Creation is being made new. Jesus says to him, and he says, why do you perceive these things in your hearts? Which one's easier? And then he says, but so that you know that the ancient of days, the one that comes from heaven, Jesus infuses this with meaning. There's going to be one that comes and heals people, and I am he, basically is what this is saying. But so that you know this in real time, in real space, in reality, the Son of Man has the authority to also forgive sins because the Son of Man is God. Because only God can forgive sins. Get up, person who cannot walk, and walk out of here. There's no obstacles. There was obstacles, right? There was obstacles with the crowd. There was obstacles with the roof. There was obstacles with uh, the, the theology. 
But God has shown up and all these obstacles, all these barriers are being pushed out of the way. Now there's this other obstacle that this individual, remember he was healed by the faith of his friends. Now he has to have faith to step into this moment that God is calling him to. So there's the obstacle of himself to get out of the way and by trusting what Jesus is saying to get up and walk. Is he going to do it, right? That's the question. I say to you, rise. There's that word. Get up. And Jesus raises up. That's which is all our hope, right? On the day that we die. The day of the resurrection that we all are raised up. Are you with me? It's not just a TV show or, or a story that our parents told us or grandparents told us. This is like real stuff. When you die, you hope you rise again, that you have eternal life. Jesus said, I say, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the guy who couldn't walk, he rose and immediately picked up immediately. There's the, and immediately. There's Mark again. He picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed. And they glorified God saying, we've never seen anything like this. The last thing I want to say on this, this moment here is this. He went out before them all. Who's all? It's real hard. All. Everybody there. So that they were all amazed. Who's all? All. This includes the scribes from Capernaum sitting there who just questioned and said in their hearts that this is only person gets, the only person, the only one that can forgive sins is God alone. Jesus, Deuteronomy chapter 18, the prophet, Jesus is being, Raph Mark's painting this picture of Jesus is who he is by what he does. Jesus is not only ancient of days, he's not only the Messiah, he's also, he's God in the flesh, he's also the prophet, which also he will be king, but his throne is not the throne like most empires, his throne is a Roman tool of execution called a cross. To go up, you must go down in Jesus' kingdom. Jesus, Mark is being painting us for us who Jesus is. He's the whole embodiment of everything God wanted to set right in the world. And it's happening in just this healing moment. I think it's interesting, and this is speculation in my mind, but the scribes there are the ones that fulfill and interpret the law. And there's this almost like they're putting their stamp of approval. Mark doesn't go into it, but you almost have this moment where Mark's showing us the revelation that these individuals, these scribes, are saying, wow, now you have testament. You have affirmation that Jesus is who he said he is based off of the Old Testament. And so our Jewish friends, our Jewish brothers and sisters, this is an important thing to show uh, that, that, that Jesus is who he said he is, that he was the promised one, uh, that the Old Testament, that God was going to send to redeem the world. All were amazed and all praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. <clears throat> As we uh, move into communion this morning, if you guys want to come forward for communion to leave that. There's a lot of people that think that there's obstacles, there are obstacles to God. My encouragement for us as a body of people who follow Jesus is to see by God showing up, Jesus is never an obstacle to God. And he should never be an obstacle. When we share our faith to other people, we need to have this whole embodiment of the compassion of God to show up to push religion to the side, to go for truth, 
to see the faith of other people trying, the, the, the intention of other people trying to get people to God. We need to have so much love and compassion. We need to have so much forgiveness and mercy and grace because that's who God is and that's who God showed up to be in Jesus. But then there's this other obstacle that each of us have to face, and it's the final one, which is ourselves. People can drag you to church. People can drag you to faith. They can preach at you in the, all, all the while. But the, the final one is, is that to be ultimately healed. Yeah, physical healing's awesome. But to be ultimately healed from your sins means that you have to take up your mat and walk. That you actually have to step into the game through faith and action. And so don't let yourself become an obstacle to God. Don't let yourself become an obstacle to faith in Jesus through the actions of your life.